Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margo, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen. I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. (laughs) All right, everyone. I just want to say I am so overwhelmed by the response to my episode last week. I just can't believe it. Texas and the rest of my True Crime Army came in hot sharing episode 31 with the world. It's the episode where I covered the disappearance of Vanessa Guillon just six weeks ago, Gregory Morales, who disappeared in August of 2019, and the murder of Brandon Rosecrans just two weeks ago. Now, these, all of these cases are out of Fort Hood and they're all unsolved. I also received a lot of personal messages about people just happy that we are keeping these cases in the spotlight. Let's continue to force the evil out of the shadows, okay? As I said, these cases are unsolved and I will bring you an update when one is available. But please keep sharing and follow me on social media so you can get those updates. You can follow me on Facebook at Military True Crime and on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast. Let's help bring justice to these families. Okay, so it's June. Oh my goodness. June is Pride Month. Yes, it's a time for us to celebrate our LGBTQ community and our uniqueness and our differences. It's a time to acknowledge that we love hearts, regardless of the shape or form of the body that it occupies. I wanted to share some information about Pride Month because it's easy to believe that Pride Month was always a thing, you know, but but no, it actually wasn't. It all began in the summer of 69. (laughs) It actually, when I say that, it sounds like I'm going to break into song and dance, right? Well, in the summer of 69, one summer night in Greenwich Village in New York City, a group of folks were dancing the night away at a gay club called Stonewall Inn. When all of a sudden, the police raided the club, forcing everyone out into the street for no other reason than the fact that the patrons were known to be gay. Over the next six days, a riot ensued. The message of the Stonewall riots was the LGBTQ community clamoring for a safe place where they could go without being harassed and arrested. A year later, in 1970, Gay Pride Week was organized, eventually morphing into the New York City Pride March. A few years later, in 78, a rainbow flag became the all-encompassing symbol of San Francisco's Pride March. President Clinton officially recognized Pride Month in 99 and 2000. And President Obama declared June LGBT Pride Month from 2009 to 2016. It's safe to say that society has come a long way to accepting humanity's differences and our similarities. But as is clear from just the news last week and even today, this isn't completely true. And today, I am going to discuss how bigotry and hate led to the destruction of three young soldiers' lives. One of them, a martyr of the military policy on don't ask, don't tell. This is the murder of Barry Winchell. Now, let's dig in.
My sources for this case include court opinions by the Army Court of Criminal Appeals and the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, investigative articles by Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, The Advocate, New York Times, articles by Courier Journal, Lompoc Record, CBS News, HuffPost, a movie titled A Soldier's Girl, available on Amazon Prime, and two documentaries, one on Vanity Fair Confidential, available on the Investigation Discovery Network, and the other on A&E's American Justice. It's 7 a.m. on Monday, July 5th, 1999, just after the 4th of July weekend. Patricia Catellis, who goes by Pat, has just made herself a cup of coffee, and she's about to sit down to enjoy her morning cup of joe and the quietness of her house. She shares this house with her second husband, Wally Catellis, a Korean War veteran. Oh, darn it. Who's calling right now? Hello? On the line, it was Lieutenant Colonel John C. Stratus calling from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yes, this is she. Ma'am, we need you to get on the next available airplane. Your son has been in an altercation. He's been kicked in the head with a boot. He's currently at the Vanderbilt University Hospital. <laughs> Wally came out of the room. What happened? He asked. After Pat Catellis' son, Private First Class Barry L. Winchell, was taken off life support and subsequently died from his injuries, the Army spokesperson at Fort Campbell released a statement, quote, Barry Winchell's death was the result of an altercation between soldiers, end quote. What Pat Catellis didn't realize that frightful morning was that her son had just become a martyr for the Department of Defense's ill-advised policy of don't ask, don't tell. But I'll get there. Let me take you back to where it all began. Patricia Ann Slyker was born on March 30th, 1949 in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. She married Grant Winchell and she had two sons, Ian and Barry. Barry was born on August 31st, 1977, and he was a spunky little kid. When Barry was four years old, though, Pat decided to leave her abusive husband, and she found herself living in a car with her two young sons in Fort Worth, Texas. So she set up shop in her car behind the Waffle House, where she worked to make ends meet. And this was their setup for six weeks, living in a car, until she was able to get them into a real place. Eventually, Pat, who was down on her luck, she met her second husband, Wally Catellis, and she settled into Kansas City, Missouri. Barry struggled in school, and because of a learning disability, he didn't learn how to read until he was in the third grade. But he was great with his hands. He was in the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, and even the Rocket Club. And he dabbled with piano and music here and there, grew his hair out real long, and became part of a heavy metal band when he was in high school. And his mom joked that she was constantly on him to keep the music down in his room. He was the type of boy that went to prom with a girl that he thought he was going to marry. But he dropped out of high school entered into a technical school where he earned his GED and learned how to weld. But Pat wanted her son to become something more, though. Her father had been in the Army and her two brothers had served in the Marine Corps and her current husband had served in the Army. So Pat encouraged Barry to join the Army. And so he kind of started digging it. He cut his hair before enlisting in the Army, probably because he knew they were going to cut it anyway. And the funny thing is that his stepfather, Wally, tried to sit him down to have a pep talk about the army, you know, because he had been in the army. But Barry said, no, 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 no. You don't have to worry about me. 
in preparation for my enlistment, I watched all of the army movies <laughs> and he knew all about the army. And isn't it funny that like that most of us young and naive kids, we don't want to hear anything from our parents, the ones who have lived it and survived it. Well, in 1997, off Barry went. Barry often shared with his mom when they talked that the military was tough, but his mantra became suck it up and move on. So whenever he called back home and talked to his mom and his mom told him how much she missed him, he'd later tell her, suck it up, mom, and drive on. His first duty assignment was Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and this post was home to 23,000 soldiers, and it was roughly 105,000 acres big. (laughs) It's safe to say that this place is huge. The post is actually on the Kentucky-Tennessee border, and Barry was assigned to Delta Company of the 2nd Battalion of the 502nd Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. He was part of the prestigious Screaming Eagles, a group of fearless men. So fearless, in fact, that 19 members of the Screaming Eagle by by 1999-2000 had received the Medal of Honor for their bravery. Barry was trained to fire heavy weapons like the 50 caliber machine gun and the 40 millimeter grenade launcher. But he was intimidating on that 50 cal. So good, in fact, that he earned himself the nickname Top Gun. But Barry wasn't always thrilled about the army. Another soldier called him lazy. Buzz Bissinger of Vanity Fair discovered that Barry even received an Article 15, a.k.a. nonjudicial punishment for disobeying an order. So this is what happened. Barry went out and got drunk one day. He was told, go back to your room and detox. Well, Barry didn't listen. And instead, he returned to a bar called Starburst 2000 to retrieve his car. And for this incident, he received paperwork. But it did seem that Barry was on the up and up by spring of 1999. He was actually being considered for soldier of the month. And he really, really, really wanted to win. Because as he told his mother, he had made up his mind. I'm making the military career. And his new goal was to go to warrant officer school and then become a helicopter pilot. In May of 98, Barry became roommates with Justin Fisher. Fisher was older than the rest of the guys in the barracks. Barry was 21 years old and Fisher was 26. And for my civilians thinking, you know, that's not really that big of an age gap. It's only five years. But just think of the barracks as college dorm rooms. Usually the residents of barracks are anywhere from 18 to 22 years old, usually. If you have a 26-year-old, if you have a 26-year-old dorm rat, he's like the dorm dad. Well, Fisher, even though he was older than everyone, he was a goofy kid and he had a pretty rough life. Fisher was born on January 20th, 1973, and he grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And by all accounts, his father was abusive. He was an alcoholic and he constantly berated his son, telling him that he sucked at everything. He sucked at sports. Well, Fisher's mom remarried, and it turns out that she's terrible at picking men because his stepfather was also abusive. So Fisher left home before he was scheduled to finish high school, and then he dropped out of high school eventually, but did get his GED. He worked small jobs here and there, McDonald's, roofing, painting, that type of stuff. Fisher, coming from a broken home, had mix-ins with the law. Buzz Bissinger from that Vanity Fair article I talked about reported that Fisher had a rap sheet, including arrest for disturbing the peace trespassing, two thefts, and two burglaries. He had also been arrested for having the makings of a pipe bomb. What? Apparently, he had made this to get back at somebody who upset him. Well, sometime before joining the army, Fisher did have a son, and the baby's mother and the son moved out of state. 
In April of 97, after getting waivers to enter the army because he had to get waivers with that com- with those convictions, he was able to join. One of the reasons that Fisher did join the army was because he needed to have a steady paycheck to pay child support. As I mentioned, Fisher was older than the rest of the guys and the younger guys, they always knew that they could count on him to have a good time. Fish was best described by Rolling Stone as, quote, a hellion whose idea of a good time was flirting with trouble, end quote. Also, Fisher was really into mob movies. His favorite included Scarface, Donnie Brasco and Goodfellas. One soldier, Nikita Sanarov, said that Fisher thought he was his own personal crime boss. Fisher loved guns, playing with guns, touching them, pointing them at folks, just acting like he was a real mafioso. In July of 98, Fisher went on leave back to Nebraska. And when he found out that somebody had been messing with his sister, he went to the store and bought himself a Louisville Slugger baseball bat because he intended to beat this person up. But turns out he actually never had to use it. So he just brought the bat back with him to the base. Barry and Fisher were roommates, and it seemed that maybe they had a little bit of a toxic relationship. They were located at barracks 4028 on the third floor. The room was set up to allow some form of privacy, though, including a wall that separated their two sleeping spaces. But most other spaces were shared. Barry liked to smoke, but Fisher did not approve of smoking in the room. And Barry was a bit messy, and Fisher despised this. So much so that one day, Fisher kept at it, yelling at Barry to clean the room, clean the room. And when Barry didn't listen, Fisher sat on Barry's chest, punched Barry in the face and then whacked him over and over and over again with a dustpan. One of the dustpan whacks was done with so much force that it opened a gash on Barry's face, requiring a hospital visit and a few stitches. So when the guys left the hospital, went back to the room, there was blood splatter on the walls from Barry's freaking cut on his face. And when Barry got home from the hospital, he was about to clean it. But for the remainder of their time as roommates, Fisher said, no, 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 no. Don't clean it. Fisher wanted the blood to stay there as a badge of honor. And whenever their friends came to the room, Fisher always pointed to the blood and said, haha, look, I beat him up. Now that is absolutely insane. That's that's crazy. Although Barry and Fisher's arguments had gotten physical before, there had never been a hospital visit. So now that there was a hospital visit, there was no way that they could hide this. So they got written up by their superiors for fighting. But it appears that Barry decided really not to rat on his roommate as the aggressor. After this, though, Barry confided in a female friend that he thought he might be switching rooms. But when the company commander, Captain Daniel Rouse, asked Barry if he wanted to move, he apparently said no. Now, maybe this is one of those like macho bravado things where you suck it up to avoid any future problems with other soldiers. You don't want to be known as a soldier who switched barrack rooms, barracks rooms because your roommate hit you or, or sliced your face open, you know. It's safe to say that Barry and Fisher had a love hate relationship. In fact, many soldiers described it as just that love and hate. Barry once shared with his brother back home that Fisher was a psychopath, but it really didn't phase Barry. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. 
but I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Nashville, Tennessee is about an hour away from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And it seems that because this is the nearest city, many Fort Campbell soldiers took to visiting the bar scene in Nashville on weekends. In March of 99, Fisher went to Nashville one weekend. It's unclear who he went with this particular night, but he visited a gay club called Connections. Connections was a 48,000 square foot space that welcomed crowds over 2,000 people deep. Connections was known for their drag queen shows and the club welcomed anyone willing to have a good time. Fisher appeared to like what he saw and the following night he invited his roommate and a group of other guys to go to Nashville. Fisher recommended Connections and everyone was down. In walked the group of soldiers, including Fisher and Barry. Music playing so hard, they probably couldn't even hear their thoughts. Drinks flowing, clinking glasses all around, and on stage, a lineup of drag queens ready to perform. The group found a little nook close to the dance floor to ogle over the performers. And Fisher had his eye on a performer named Calpurnia Adams. Calpurnia was a transgender woman who had started her transition two years prior by taking hormones but she was still packaged with a male anatomy, although she had curves every woman would kill for. Calpurnia was the club's number one performer. Now for this story, it's important for me to use gender and sexuality titles because they are crucial to my story. So please bear with me and realize I do not mean any disrespect to my LGBTQ community. By all accounts, everyone in the group of soldiers that walked in with Fisher considered themselves heterosexual. And if you're down with the times, you know that gay clubs are sometimes the best, most fun clubs to visit with your friends. Even if you're heterosexual, it doesn't matter. So that's where we are. According to the Rolling Stone, though, the Nashville drag queens did indicate at the time that they were used to getting tons of attention from confused soldiers who were, quote, too nervous to admit that they might be gay, end quote. Well, besides Fisher, someone else had his eyes on Calpurnia, Barry. Later that night, as the performances were done, the performers were used to walking around the club and chatting with patrons. 
Well, Calpurnia saw Barry and she was mesmerized by him. She mostly liked that he was boyish, that he was a boyish soldier who seemed so giddy when he talked to her. And Barry treated Calpurnia like a lady. The relationship would have been the first for both of them. It would have been the first relationship that Calpurnia had as Calpurnia with a straight man. And it would have been Barry's first relationship with a transgender woman, and especially a transgender woman who was preoperative. But the pair was smitten in that moment. And titles and gender identity and sexuality, it didn't matter to either of them. Fisher kind of realized it was going to be no dice with him and Calpurnia. So he asked Calpurnia to hook him up with another dancer named Kimmy Satin. Kimmy Satin was a drag queen and Fish and Kimmy went to the back and they fooled around, mostly heavy petting while the rest of the soldiers just kind of beep bopped around waiting for Fisher to be done. Even though Fisher was hooking up with Kimmy, he'd never admit anything happened. And he'd rebuff any implication he ever hooked up with Kimmy, always arguing, I was drunk. I don't remember anything. Kimmy, many years later, would tell Vanity Fair, quote, they come on Friday, Saturday nights, these little jarhead freaks from Fort Campbell who want a blowjob with a drag queen. You see a dozen every night and they will all say they're straight. They seem to think that being with me doesn't make them gay. They can say in their mind, I didn't know it was a man till we were finished or something up like that. So for me, it's kind of revenge saying, yeah, you dog homosexuals, but you'll go with me in a heartbeat, end quote. So it's sufficient to say that Kimmy and Fisher didn't work out, but Barry and Calpurnia seemed to really hit it off. So Barry, the gentleman, asked for Calpurnia's number and they arranged to meet for coffee. On the drive back to post that night, Fisher was drunk and he was in the back seat with some other soldiers. Barry was in the front passenger seat. When Fisher began an assault on Barry from the back seat, even choking Barry, the other soldiers managed to jump on Fisher and get him off. And then Fisher just passed out. It's important that I take a moment to talk ever so briefly about the history of gays in the military. In the beginning, gays were not allowed in the military at all, period, dot. Seriously, homosexuality was seen as a mental illness and gays weren't allowed in. And if they were discovered while they were in the military, sometimes through these witch hunts, they would be administratively discharged with an unfavorable service characterization. Basically, it was the act of being gay that was the misconduct that required a military discharge. Then, in 1994, after many years of battling between the Republicans and the Democrats, President Bill Clinton enacted a policy known as Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Under this policy, gays could serve in the military, but they were not allowed to display their homosexuality or tell anyone about it. So if a gay man brought his lover to the squadron holiday party, there could be no hand-holding and he'd have to introduce the lover as his friend. But in actuality, the fear that someone might actually think that he was gay just by bringing a man to the holiday party made this don't ask, don't tell era extremely frightful for gays serving in the military. And the don't ask, don't tell policy was a real paradox, right? The president of the United States and politicians everywhere thought it was better to allow people to serve in the military under a lie than to allow those same people to honor the oaths they took upon entering the military. By the time of the case I'm discussing today, Don't Ask, Don't Tell had been around for close to five years. The 
The day after Calpurnia and Barry hit it off, Fisher began a campaign to destroy Barry. Fisher went to his leadership and said, hey, I won't say who, but we have a gay member in our ranks. Then Fisher began to get into all of the Delta Company soldiers' ears saying, Barry's gay, Barry's a, and he liked to use the F word, the F-A, you know, whatever word. So I'm not going to say it. He just kept saying Barry's gay, Barry's a f what a f and other derogatory language. And the culture at the time was such that this type of unit speak and gay bashing was appropriate. In fact, it was encouraged. Boys will be boys. Barry began to hear the rumors and then people just started making fun of him to his face. When he confronted Fisher about it, Fisher just brushed it off. Hey man, it's a joke. But Fisher continued with the comments. Testimony later revealed that Fisher asked Barry in front of other soldiers, quote, what was it like to suck a cock, end quote. Fisher was really a whack job. And from May through June of 1999, Fisher would walk around the barracks and say he wished his roommate would die. It was clear Fisher wanted Barry to get in trouble or maybe worse, he wanted his roommate dead. Yet Barry just wanted to keep his head down and make the military career. But he knew don't ask, don't tell was made to get rid of people like him. And how could he be blamed for falling in love with Calpurnia? In his eyes, she was a girl, even though she was preoperative. So Fisher was a complete jerk to Barry, but Barry just brushed it off. Barry was always trying to be the bigger man. So during the Memorial Day weekend, Fisher asked to borrow Barry's car and Barry said, yes, Fisher was on his way to Niagara Falls. Of course, Fisher repaid him by getting into a car accident. Ugh. Well, the name calling back at the barracks didn't stop Barry from continuing to see Calpurnia. Barry and Calpurnia began a relationship and the entire time Barry treated Calpurnia like a lady. He'd buy her jewelry, bring her flowers, wait in her dressing room while she was off slaying it on stage. Oh, and another thing that I didn't mention, Calpurnia wasn't just a performer. She also competed in pageants and she was amazing. Calpurnia was prepping for a huge competition on the 4th of July weekend, the Tennessee Entertainer of the Year pageant. And she was so excited to have Barry there. But all the bullying Barry had suffered the last four months, it was really starting to take a toll on him. And he needed to study for the Soldier of the Month test. So he had to break it to Calpurnia. He wanted her to kick butt at the pageant, but he wouldn't be there. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. 
Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. On Saturday, July 3rd, 1999, the Barrack soldiers were up and ready to start the holiday season off right. They were having a hot dog cookout and the booze was flowing. A small group of maybe 10 or 20 soldiers were outside playing games and shooting the breeze. Well, while they're shooting the breeze, out came one of the youngest soldiers in the company, Private Calvin Glover. Glover looked like a little squirt. He's <laughs> he's a little uppity. He's one of those soldiers who never shuts up, almost like he was afraid of silence. Can't have a quiet second or they start nervous talking. Well, that's this guy. Let me tell you a little bit about Glover. Calvin Glover was born on January 30th, 1981, and he grew up in Oklahoma. His parents divorced when he was young, so he spent a lot of his time either with his mom in Sulphur or with his dad in Ada. Now, Glover dropped out of high school in the eighth grade. And then when he was moved to a youth shelter in Tulsa, Oklahoma, he was expelled from there. Glover's parents acknowledged that they weren't the best parents, but they thought that maybe the military would be the best bet for their son. So they encouraged him to sign up. And although it's sweet to think that his mom and dad sat him down and said, son, it's time you grow up and join the army so they can make a man out of you. That's not actually what happened. According to Glover himself, he joined the army as a way to avoid jail time for check forgery. Basically, the judge gave him an ultimatum, the military or jail, and Glover chose the military. Glover was only 17 years old when he signed up for the army. And although that's too young to serve, his parents signed permission. And on October 26, 1998, Glover joined the army and he arrived at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in March of 99. Now, let's go. Let's get back. Let's get back to July 3rd of 99. Glover had always struggled to fit in everywhere he went, probably because he talked too much and he was watching all the soldiers outside and he decided he wanted to be a part of that. So he joined the others in the courtyard and as he approached, he grabbed himself a beer and started chatting. Almost immediately, he got loud and obnoxious, wanting to one up every soldier there with his own war stories from home. There was that one time that he robbed a bank. There was that one time that he did meth. There was that one time that he did cocaine. You name it, he did it. <laughs> Glover was spinning these tales and the soldiers were laughing, cracking up, in fact. But they were not laughing with Glover. They were laughing at Glover. <laughs> Barry was kind of embarrassed for him and he was sitting nearby smoking a cigarette, observing this young buck make a fool of himself. When Barry yelled, yeah, yeah, we're tired of hearing your lies. Why don't you take your drunk cherry ass to bed? <gasps> Glover's eyes got real big and irate and he puffed his chest out and he yelled, what did you say to me? <laughs> well, Barry was not going to repeat himself. So he just sat there smoking a cigarette and holding a beer in his hand. Glover charged at Barry and Fisher stepped in the middle. Whoa, 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 whoa questioning Glover, are you sure you want to do this? And Glover was like, let me go. So Fisher was like, fine. And he stepped away. Glover got real close to Barry and started to bug Barry, kind of like a mosquito on a nice breezy day that won't leave your side. And Glover started swatting at Barry's beer. And Barry just took it. And Glover kept swatting and swatting and swatting until Barry was fed up. He tossed his beer, tossed his cigarette and pounced on Glover, slapping him in the face, dropping him to his back. And I imagine all the other soldiers were like, whoa, it's a fight. 
when all of a sudden a superior walked around the corner after hearing all this madness and the guys were separated before Glover even knew what hit him. He never even had a chance to throw a punch. Hey, what's going on around here? Said the superior. Nothing, sir. Nothing. We're just fooling around. You know, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. So the superior walked away and Barry was visibly upset. He felt like his actions were an outburst from all the torment that he had recently endured. Even though he had basically beat the little loudmouth twerp, he felt torn about it. The fight didn't make him feel good. Also, the fight wasn't good because he was up for soldier of the month and this didn't look good for him. Barry frustratingly wondered out loud, why do people have to push me to that point? So Barry offered an apology, but Glover was pissed. He yelled, it's not cool. I could kill you. A cannot kick my ass. End quote. Fisher stayed behind and taunted Glover. You got your ass beat by a And these taunts continued all weekend. Barry then walked away, not realizing that Glover had just made a claim he'd actually keep. And that's where I leave you until next week for part two and the conclusion of the Barry Winchell story. Stay tuned because part one was just an introduction to the real madness that is about to occur. Wherever you're listening to this episode, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss the episode when it comes out. And maybe, just maybe, I'll release it a little bit early. <laughs> All right, everybody, you can find me on social on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast, on Facebook at Military True Crime, and Twitter at Military Murder. I want to take a few minutes to acknowledge those listeners who have left reviews. Thank you so much. Shout out to Ogler35, who's a Navy vet and loves the show. Can't stop listening. Love Bugs Mom says the podcast kept her awake one night. Uh-oh. Likes the way that the stories are compiled. And I just want to say thanks for listening. Sorry that I kept you up that one night. <laughs> uh, Baby Blues TX81 heard about my show on Wife of Crime and says that the show deserves 100 stars. Oh, love you so much. Thank you for listening. Yo, it's me, CJ says, works in delivery and listens to podcasts all day. Just came across my show. Well, yo, it's me, CJ. Hope you're binging. Finally, Rage and Rebellion says, just found out about the podcast by a friend who shared it on Facebook. Wants to say thanks for bringing awareness to one of one of this person's friends who was a soldier, Brandon Rosecrans, whose murder is still unsolved, and says, thanks for bringing attention to the dark side of military life. Well, Rage and Rebellion, I like to think I bring attention to the dark side of humanity, military or not. To all my listeners who have left reviews, thank you. To all my listeners who have interacted with me on social, thank you. To all my listeners who have signed up for the newsletter, thank you. I just want to say thank you. I do this for you. If you like the show, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. But most of the people have been leaving them on Apple Podcasts or Facebook or really anywhere else. All right. This show was created and produced by Mama Margot Productions and the music was created by Tyops. Please check the show notes for a direct link to my sources page on my website, militarymurderpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of, so remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week, and I'll keep digging to bring you the conclusion of this military murder story next week. <laughs> Shh, let's work another podcast.